although this is a podcast that claims to take nothing seriously, some subjects are genuinely serious and need to be treated seriously, and this episode touches on some of those topics. We've included a detailed content note for this episode in the description. Please take a moment to read that before continuing. You'll enjoy this. Her chariot is an empty hazelnut. Mm, I like that idea. I like the idea of repurposing hazelnuts yeah, for made, vehicular. Uh, made by a joiner squirrel. Well, I'm sold. <laughs> Hello, I'm Nora. And I'm James. And we're your hosts for not, not another, another Shakespeare, Shakespeare podcast. podcast. A podcast that takes neither itself nor Shakespeare very se- seriously. I um I thought season and seriously at the same time and ended up mm. tripping over the slogan because it is season three. It is. Mm. Fireworks. We did it. Party poppers. Hurrah! <laughs> Balloons. Balloons. Um, I th- it's kind of wild to me that we are on season three. Yeah. That we've been doing this for, what, a year and a half? No? Yeah, it is a year and a half. Yeah. We had the idea for this two years ago, mm-hmm. but we didn't start recording until, like, probably, was it, over over Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, 20, 2020 20, into 2021. 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we thought, we're in lockdown, it's very boring, we don't have much to do. <laughs> Why don't? Why we not talk about Shakespeare? Yeah, and friends, and friends, and uh, you know, here we are, still doing it. Yep. Which is wild. Um. So for season three, we are changing some things a little bit, mm-hmm. um, mostly to preserve our own ability to keep making the podcast. Yeah. Because you might have noticed, uh, we're not in lockdown anymore, and that's a good thing. It is, and for many reasons. However, uh, it does mean that we don't have quite as much leisure time to devote to spending a few hours <laughs> talking about Shakespeare and then another few hours editing for James um, and the various other bits and pieces that, that make it happen. Um, we The podcast is uh, purely a labor of love and laughter. There's no money for us from it. Um, there's no kind of uh, benefit to we're not, us. We're not sponsored by Big Shakespeare. Unfortunately, not yet. We're not got um, that that sweet Stratford Moolah. That sweet, that sweet Stratford coin. Um, yet, <laughs> maybe someday. <laughs> uh, but we we do this because it makes us laugh, and we enjoy doing it, and it's fun for us, um, and hopefully it's fun for you too. Um, but it does mean that we have to think about uh, how much time we have to devote to this and and what's realistic in terms of keeping a release schedule and uh, giving you what you want, but also making sure that that we have what we need. Um, So we are going to switch to a monthly release. This will be a kind of extended season in terms of the time over which we release episodes. Yeah. But I mean, we've had a, we had a uh, quite a break. We have had quite a break. So I think the new uh, release pattern will, will mean that we're probably delivering a fairly a similar amount mm. like per season yeah but it's staggered out just over out a year a bit more yeah yeah um and our our choices of plays have been quite strategic this time they are 
I mean, to a certain extent, they've always been kind of things that I'm teaching or working with. That are fresh. That are fresh. Um, or that are relevant for another reason. Um, so, for example, we did Troilus and Cressida because I wanted to jump on the opportunity of, of Charlene having recently taught it. Because how many people do you know who are working on Troilus and Cressida at any given time? Probably 20. <laughs> Bob. Bob's working on it. Bob. Yeah. And Bob Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, together. Yeah, the whole Bob family, really. All the Bobs. All the Bobs. Yeah. Every Bob you've ever met. Big Joyce and Cressida fan. Um, so yeah, so we, we're, we're going to uh, play slightly more mainstream in some ways than we have in the past. We're selling out. We're selling out. <laughs> we're doing Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet and A Midsummer Night's Dream all in the same season. Yeah, but we are also doing um, Sealed with a Kiss, so yes. not completely. <laughs> Which... If you've never heard of it, please go and Google that because uh, the the VHS cover alone is worth, is, worth, is worth the Google. Um, Romeo and Juliet sealed with a kiss and they do mean seal as in the aquatic creature. Yeah. 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 It's um, it, it just screams 90s to me. Yeah, I don't actually know the date, but I, it look it, what it, if it, if it might be later, but it has that. Yeah, or it might even energy. be earlier, but it it has a it has a 90s energy. Um, and we're looking forward to that. On the subject of sealed with a kiss. Yes. So uh, today we are looking at the inspiration for the acclaimed <laughs> classic <laughs> sealed with a kiss. Um, the 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 title doesn't give much away. Um, but it's a story you, you might or might not be familiar with. Um, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Mm-hmm. James, what do you already know about Romeo and Juliet? I know that it involves a man called Romeo and a girl called Juliet. Mm-hmm. And they live in Verona. Yes. And they have a balcony or Juliet has a balcony. Okay. And shit goes down. Shit goes down. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I think what is interesting about Romeo and Juliet is that shit is already going down, like at the start of the play. Yeah. We arrive in media res, as they say. Is this this a term you're familiar with? It means shit's already going down. Yes. I believe. The the literal translation. You look that up in the (laughs) dictionary. Yes. The literal translation is shit is already going down in media res, in the middle of things. Yeah. One, in the middle of things, or two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> shit is already going down um yes so we we kind of start the play in the middle of a family feud between the capulets and the montagues a family feud yes like the game show yes they're on family feud that's it it's the montagues versus the capulets i believe that is the origin of of the animosity between the families is a contentious family feud episode right yeah 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 they weren't happy with the outcome they didn't mm. feel it was uh judged fairly mm. Mm. mm-hmm the Capulets and the Montagues um, have an ancient grudge, the prologue tells us, that breaks to new mutiny in the streets of Verona. Um, and, the op- and we don't know what this new mutiny is. We have no idea what the ancient grudge is. We don't We don't know why. What the beef? What's the beef? What, we don't know what the beef is. Um, lots of adaptations of Romeo and Juliet try to answer that question. Mm. So you get lots. Uh, so West Side Story, for example, is... Dancing. Yes, it's they. It's a dance battle. <laughs> they, do they lose a dance? <laughs> they lost a dance battle. No, it's a it's a racism thing okay. in uh, in West Side Story. Um, a sort of gang war, um, but with some kind of obvious overtones about 
uh, you know, the Puerto Rican characters are kind of not wanted in this part of New York. Um, in uh, Parna Sen's uh, musical adaptation, which you've seen, James, called Ashinagar, which is... I have, uh, I have seen it. You have seen that. It it's means true. City of Mirrors. And in that one, it's a religious conflict. So it's Hindu and Muslim um, kind of communities in a in the same place. Um, but the the kind of tensions are exacerbated by a... Uh, dancing, land. I believe. <laughs> there is also dancing. Yes, there's a lot of homage to West Side Story in that film. Uh, no, exacerbated by greedy capitalist landlords. Nothing I can personally relate to. No- nothing going on in the world or perhaps even our own country right now that, that would uh, relate to that. Anyway, so in, in adaptations, you tend to get people trying to kind of answer the question of, of what is the grudge between these families. But I think the point is less like what the issue particularly is and more that it's just really entrenched, right? Like it's... What was that? I have no idea. Something's going on Someone's outside. doing something outside. <laughs> um. So the, the animosity between the families is kind of deeply entrenched. So it's an ancient grudge and it, it kind of breaks out in violence every now and then. So the start of the play, well, the actual start of the play is a prologue, um, which gives away the ending. So I always, whenever people complain about <laughs> like, content. Is that parties, how you're meant to do a prologue? Uh, kind of. A lot of prologues in, in this period sort of tell you what is going to happen. Um, but yes, this this spoiler one, alert. This one is I very, feel like yeah, it's very spoiler alert. The I mean, the thing is, the story of the kind of star-crossed lovers isn't original to Shakespeare, right? What are you saying? I know. Oh, go figure. Um, there are lots of like both kind of ancient mythology sort of stories, but also more recent like Italian um, prose works and other things that he's drawing mm-hmm. on for this story, um, including Pyramus and Thisbe, Tristan and Isolde. Like it's all, it's all kind of the same story, right? So I, I don't think that anybody arriving to the theater in the 1590s when this was first performed would have, would have been like, spoiler alert. Right. It's kind of like, it's like putting a spoiler alert on the fact that Batman's parents are dead. Batman's parents are dead. <laughs> no. James, we, we need to have a conversation about, about Santa Claus. And Batman. And Batman. All your childhood heroes. In one fell swoop. Not Romeo. Not Romeo. My childhood hero, your Romeo. Childhood, I'd be a little concerned if your childhood hero was Romeo. I, um, I read this play over lockdown summer with my, she was then 13-year-old uh, cousin, and over Zoom, we just like met up once a week to to read Romeo and Juliet because she was doing it in school. And she was hilarious. She was constantly like, Juliet can do so much better than Romeo. She just thought Romeo was like such a turd. She was really like, I don't understand what she sees in him. He's just useless. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair play. So we'll see, audience, if you agree. Um, but yes, we hear in the prologue that uh, the... Lovers are star-crossed, so they are fated um, to be in love, but then also fated to have difficulties in that love. Um, the fates are against them. And that uh, they're that they, with their death, bury their parents' strife. So they die, and that results in a, a resolution to this ancient grudge, this long conflict. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, spoiler alert, everybody. If you didn't know... They die. They die. That's where this is going. 
And the, the kind of play proper opens sort of in media res, we have this uh, fight that breaks out between Capulets and Montagues and then various other Capulets and Montagues kind of rush the stage and get involved. Um, if you are a Shakespeare nerd or just a sort of culture nerd, you might've heard the phrase before, I bite my thumb at you, sir. Um, that's where that comes from is this, the, the way this fight breaks out. Is that mm, I use that on a daily basis. You to do. Be fair. I, yeah. I witness to it every day. Someone uh, <laughs> cuts me off in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wind the window down. I bite my thumb to you, sir. <laughs> um, but the it's a kind of it's quite a funny back and forth because the um, one of them says, you know, he bites his thumb, and the other guy says, "Do you bite your thumb at us, sir?" And he says, "Like, well, I bite my thumb." Yeah, but do you bite your thumb at us, sir? I bite my thumb in your general direction. <laughs> yeah, it's literally that kind of thing. It's like a Monty Python bit where it's like, I fart in your general direction. Um, and he, you know, do you bite your thumb at us, sir? The guy asks again and Samson, the, the one who bit his thumb. Samson. Samson. No, not Samsung. The <laughs> <laughs> large mobile phone. Yeah. <laughs> Turns to his friend, Gregory. <laughs> a lesser known mobile phone I mean, quite, quite a feat for a phone to bite its thumb. That's true. Who didn't know they had thumbs. <laughs> it could bite the user's thumb. Yeah. It could um, be like their latest design flaw. Ooh. Ooh. There's a there's a black mirror sci-fi for the for the future. Um so Samson turns to Gregor and he says, hang on a minute. If I say that I bite my thumb at them, is the law on our side? Like, am I am I allowed to do that? Is Gregory <laughs> like, like his legal counsel? Yeah. <laughs> Gregory Gregory's like trying to sort of talk him out of it a bit and Gregory's like no you can't just bite your thumb at people everyone knows that <laughs> don't just go around biting your thumb you can't just go around biting your thumb at people Samson what's wrong with you uh and so Samson says no I do not bite my thumb at you sir but I do bite my thumb sir and Gregory's like do you quarrel like are you gonna fight us about this and uh Abraham's like no no quarrel sir no sir absolutely not and Samson's like okay but if you were gonna quarrel I would fight you because I serve as good a man as you. And then they start fighting. So it's a very stupid way to start a fight. Yeah, just fight already. Just fight already. But also like, ooh, he bit his thumb at us. And it's like, it's a bit like giving someone the finger. So I, I've seen most Friday nights. Yeah. Outside Weatherspoons, they're all biting each other, biting it. thumbs, you That's know. That's it. They're just biting thumbs left, right and center. Um, it's a bit like giving someone the finger. Like it's, it's that yeah. kind of gesture. Um, but yeah, that is that is how the fight breaks out. That is the new mutiny that has happened. Is the is this thumb biting incident? All the other people rush in. There's a big fight. Everybody's you know bloody and beat up. Um, Lady and Lord Capulet and Lady and Lord Montague arrive as well. So like the heads of household are there, and then the prince comes in. What's um, the prince called? Aeschylus. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought I was no going to say something profound then. <laughs> yeah, I really, I thought you were going to have like some kind of rejoinder. I don't know. What, what do you do with Aeschylus? Not much. Does he do much? He Well, he tries. Okay. Um, so he kind of comes in and he, um, I, I get nervous. I could have said Escalop, but there you Even, go. Or like Escargot. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah. Failed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've let you all down. Oh. Most of all myself. Get out. <laughs> That's it. We're cutting off the podcast right here. <laughs> no, I would never do that to you. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, so Prince Aeschylus comes in and he sort of quells the fight. Um, and he quells the quarrel. He quells the quarrel. Yes. Oh, very good. Mm. Very nice uh, alliteration bonus there. 
Thank you. Uh, and he does this in verse, which is significant because it's... Because how, how often do you normally quell a quarrel in verse? You don't usually. Um, no, because everything's been in prose up to that point. So the so the verse coming in is like kind of order and... Uh, structure. Structure and like high culture kind of coming in to, to stop this lowbrow thumb-biting fight that's happening. Ooh. Yeah. So the prince arrives. He is like, this has to stop. I'm not putting up with it anymore. Whoever fights next, the penalty is death. So if I catch you fighting, I'm going to execute you. Mm. And then he says that uh, Capulet and Montague have to come and like meet with him. <laughs> After class. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, come and see me in my office. Uh, so they everybody kind of leaves, um, having been quelled. And we learn from Benvolio, who is Romeo's cousin. So we haven't met Romeo or Juliet yet. Very typical of Shakespeare to not introduce us to the, the titular characters for a little while. Benvolio is Romeo's cousin. Um, he's usually nowadays played as kind of uh, a queer character. Mm -hmm. So he, because he doesn't really have like a love interest in the play. Um, he's, he's sometimes portrayed as being like in love with Malvo Malvolio. Mercutio. I was about to say, is he related to Malvolio? <laughs> no, he's nothing the like that. The Volio clan. He's, <laughs> yeah, Benvolio, it means um, good wishes. So Malvolio means bad wishes. Yeah. So um, he's, he's, Shakespeare's recycling the same idea there, basically. Yes, yes. It's, it's handy with Italian names. You can it's just, true. You know. Uh, so Benvolio, he of the is good... Is there a neutral Volio? A neutral Volio, a, a, a Medvolio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You should write that play, <laughs> Medvolio. It's, it's sort of Bartleby the Scrivener, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'd prefer not to. Yeah. I don't, not good, not bad, just I'd yeah, He's just not. in the middle of a war and he's just like, uh, I can see this, I can see the problem on both sides. Yeah. I kind of just don't want to. I'd rather not fight, thank you. Could he, he could bring the whole war to a stop. That's there true. You go. Maybe the, he does. It's the Bartleby the Scrivener sequel we all need. Mm. Medvolio. Medvolio. Set. In the Mediterranean. If you're not familiar with Bartleby the Scrivener, it's a Herman Melville short story. Um, Her Herman Medville. Herman Medville. <laughs> Herman Melville. Medvilleo, sorry. Melville short story uh, is really worth reading. It's it's basically a guy who um, brings capitalism to a halt by refusing to do anything in his job. And eventually his entire company has to vacate the building because they just can't get around him. <laughs> it's what I aspire <laughs> Don't say it too loud. <laughs> it was a joke. Reese Mogg will hear you. Uh. <laughs> mm. Okay. So Benvolio is looking for Romeo. He hasn't seen him and his parents haven't seen him either. Um, and Benvolio says the last time that he saw him, it was sort of just before dawn and he was... Um... So who's dawn? <laughs> ah, uh, no. Dawn is not a character. Just before sunrise. Um, and he's been kind of... Uh, wandering around melancholically, doing his moody teenager thing. Romeo then enters and Benvolio says, oh, let me talk to him. He probably doesn't want to see his parents. He won't tell you what's happening, but he might talk to me. So Benvolio approaches Romeo and I, I love this uh, exchange because it is very like emo, mm -hmm. you know, like... The, emo teen. It is very emo teen. It, it is the kind of thing that... I, I can picture people I know saying in about 2002. So, <laughs> so Benvolio says, good morrow, cousin. And Romeo replies, is the day so young? 
And Benfolio goes, yeah, it's only nine o'clock. And Romeo says, I me, sad hours seem long. <laughs> Benvolio asks him what sadness lengthens Romeo's hours. And he says, not having that, which having makes them short. Mm-hmm. And Benvolio says, are you in love? And Romeo says, no, out. Out of love? Out of her favor where I am in love. Aw. So Romeo is in love with this girl, Rosaline, uh, who very wisely wants nothing to do with him. Um, but he's like distraught over this. He's not sleeping. He's wandering through the woods. He's being an emo teen. Uh, we don't actually know how old Romeo is, interestingly. Mm. Mm. So he could be like 41. Probably not 41. Uh, he's sort of el- eligible bachelor age, okay. which could be anything from 17 to 30. Okay. That's yeah. still quite a wide range. It's quite for, a range. And Julia is like, what, 13? Julia is exactly almost 14. Okay. Yeah. So there's a high creep factor, is what you're saying here. Potentially, yeah. And interestingly, Shakespeare makes Juliet younger than she is in the kind of main sources that he's using. She's 16 in a lot of the Italian sources. Mm. But she's 14. Not not quite 14 in uh, in Shakespeare's one, so... We can have some thoughts about that when we come around to the misogynometer. So Benvolio, um, yeah, has this kind of long conversation with Romeo um, about how uh, how sad he is. Then we get to meet Capulet, Juliet's dad, and Juliet. They don't have names. Uh, yeah, Lord Capulet. Lord Capulet. Lady Capulet. Yeah. that's it. That's what we got. That's, not, what that's what we're working with. Not Bob and Jean. No, not Bob and Jean. Bob Capulet. That <laughs> sounds like Bobcat. It does. <laughs> so picture him like a big cat. Yeah. And we have, you'll enjoy this, the County Paris. The County? The County. He's a count. Like a, Oh, he's not like the whole county of like the area. He's not like Essex personified. Yeah. He's, and he's called Paris. Yeah. Is he related to, is he straight from Troilus and Cressida? Yes. He's he's fought his war he's flown in Troy. In. He's uh, seen Troy sacked. He's flown on the eagle from yep. Cymbeline. That's it. Picked up his Uber eagle. Yeah. Landed in Verona. Yeah. To try and, uh, you know, figure things out. Mm. In his new country. Everyone thinks that, uh, you know, that it's Aeneas who has the, the grand journey to Italy from Troy, but actually it's Paris. Mm. Mm -hmm. And he simultaneously time travels to the 16th century um, while he's doing that. Because, you know, magical Jupiter eagles, they they can do that. Yeah, I mean, that's why they named a city after him in France. That's true. Yeah, 100% true. You can look it up. Quote us in your essays, kids. So Paris is... That's one way to catch... (laughs) To catch cheaters. (laughs) Just just, just disseminate (laughs) fake information. Oh, that's fun. But mean. We shouldn't do that. Um, so Paris is asking for Juliet's hand in marriage. We haven't met Juliet yet in the play, but Paris wants to marry. Yeah, she's not doesn't sound that important. Nah, she's only, you know. She's only in the title. She's only in the title. So we hear Capulet and Paris talking about her before we meet her, which again is kind of very standard. Um, and Paris, Paris is keen to get married quickly. He says, younger than she are happy mothers made. So not even wives, but mothers, Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, literally, that is probably true. I don't know about the happy part. 12 year olds shouldn't be having babies. Just going to throw that one out there. Yeah. Um, 
And Capulet says, uh, to his credit, and too soon marred are those so early married. So he's saying she's too young. She's she's not ready to be married yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we really need to kind of slow your roll there, Paris. <laughs> and, uh, give her a couple more years. So she says, uh, he says that until you know, a couple more, a couple more years have gone by, then we can think about, you know, whether she's ready to be a bride. Um, and Paris kind of agrees to this. So there we go. Uh, Romeo and Benvolio accidentally find out through a servant who can't read and is trying to, uh, take a list, a shopping list into town that, the Capulets are having a masked ball that evening. Ooh. They're having a big party, mm. big fat party. Um, and they decide to crash the party mm. with their friends. Like Owen Wilson and Yes, uh, they are wedding crashers. Yeah. yeah. Which is which. Exactly like exactly that. Exactly. Like if, you, if you had to cast like Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson in this play, who's Romeo and who's Benvolio? I feel like Vince Vaughn is Romeo. <laughs> Owen Wilson is Benvolio. Yes, I think that is accurate. Yeah. 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 Um, we'd be interested to hear if you have a different opinion, but I think Vince Vaughn plays a uh, sad puppy face. Yeah. 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 Very He's got well. that vibe a bit more. Yeah. Um, and Owen Wilson has the kind of like, I'm going to fix it energy. Happy go lucky. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so finally, we're going to meet Juliet. Hey, three scenes in, here she is. Uh, but first, we meet Capulet's wife. <laughs> but first. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Capulet. And we meet Juliet's nurse, um, who is like her nanny, basically. Yeah, like, like, like nanny in Blackadder. Yeah. Yes, exactly like that. Yes. First Blackadder reference of the season. Pop the champagne. Um, so, <laughs> so we meet the nurse, um, who's going to be very important later on. So Juliet comes in. Um, and Lady Capulet has a very different perspective from her husband. She's trying to convince Juliet that she should marry Paris and pretty much right away. And Lady Capulet says, you know, I was uh, a mother many years. Uh, hang on, where's the actual line? Because it's an interesting line. Uh, oh, this is also where we find out that she's almost 14, but not quite. Like that's very specific information. Yeah. <laughs> given that we don't know Romeo's age. Yes. Like, why do we need to know Juliet's it's, age? And they make a big deal of it. Like, the nurse has this huge long speech about how, oh, wow. how she remembers when her birthday is because of something that happened. And there's a really, like, um, off-color joke about Juliet when she was a child having fallen on her face. And then the nurse's husband says, oh, you'll fall on your back when you're older, won't you? And she's like, oh, yes. But she's, like, three. So they're, like, hypersexualizing her as, as a, a three-year-old. Yeah, as, like, a toddler. Um, mm-hmm. Mm. That's mm-hmm. often left out of the. Uh, they didn't teach you that in school, did they? Adaptations and and teachings about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty gross. Is my um, my cousin that I read this with? Uh, her favorite like euphemism for that kind of thing. She would say, "Is that an inappropriate joke?" <laughs> I say, "Yes, yes, yes." That is, if you're in any doubt of Shakespeare ever, it probably is an inappropriate yes. joke more often than not. Um, so Capulet's wife says to her, uh, you know, you should be thinking about marriage now younger than you here in Verona, ladies of esteem are made already mothers. So we have that repetition again of like girls younger than Start popping them out. are, you know, she's behind the curve of, uh, of reproduction apparently right. at not quite 14 years old. 
And Lady Capulet says, by my count, I was your mother much upon these years that you are now a maid. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so Lady Capulet is like 28. Yeah. (laughs) No, much upon these years. So she's like 26. Wow. Yeah. Um, Which is, she's not ever cast that way. Interestingly, she's almost always cast as like, at least in her 30s. Well, that's that's just historically inaccurate. I know, clearly. <laughs> you know, many ladies of esteem in Verona apparently are... Apparently so. Uh, ...much too young. So, uh, Capulet's wife, Lady Capulet, is kind of for this marriage to Paris, and, and the sooner the better, as far as she's concerned. Give that lady some grandbabies, goddammit. Is she going to turn 30 without having grandchildren? <laughs> yeah, goodness. God forbid. Um, get her those grandchildren before yeah. she keels over. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. So they go back and forth a bit and Juliet eventually agrees um, that if he's coming to the party tonight, she will take a look at him and see what she thinks. She says, I'll look to like if looking, liking move, but no more deep will I endart mine eye than your consent gives strength to make it fly. Make it fly. Sound effect. Um, And then, of course, we hear that the guests have arrived, so everyone needs to get dressed because the party's about to start. (sighs) Scooby-Doo transition back to Romeo and his buddies. Um, and we meet his friends, uh, Mercutio. Well, his friend, Mercutio. Benvolio, good wishes. Mercutio, like Mercury. The mm. god Mercury. Um, so very Not Freddie Mercury. I mean, a bit like Freddie Mercury. He's sexy like Freddie Mercury, okay. right? And he's kind of questionably bisexual like Freddie Mercury. Like he's, you know, kind of, he's the cool kid. Right. He's definitely like the sexy one. He's definitely, um, you know, the kind of ringleader of the group. The leader of the pack. Leader of the pack. And he's mercurial. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of quick and funny and a bit Toxic in large doses. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, usually in full silver body paint. That's the, the most common really? way that he's... <laughs> That'd be good if he was. Though. That'd be cool. I'd like to. I'd see like it. to. See I'd like to. See a very version. literal interpretation. Mm, yeah. Mm. He's often like a druggy or kind of like. So he's 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 like a party animal. Yeah. In the Baz Luhrmann one, um, he goes to the party in drag. So he's yeah, like I vaguely remember. Yeah. So he's kind of. He's the cool kid, right? He's the, the cool cool kid on the block. Um, and he is coming to the party. To crash the party with Benvolio and Mercu- and uh, Romeo. He is neither Vince Vaughn no, nor Owen Wilson. He's like if they were friends with... Will Ferrell. Will- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> He's like if Freddie Mercury was also in that movie for some reason. I would feel that would be a weird casting. But <laughs> yeah. but he, it kind of like... He and Romeo... Well, who's, who's, who's the equivalent of Freddie Mercury in, in that kind of gaggle of actors? I mean, it's a very difficult question. Their whole shtick is that they're kind of schlubby, right? So <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can answer that question. Maybe like Cal Penn. Like, <laughs> I feel like you're like selling Cal Penn. A little bit there. Okay, no offense like, to Cal Penn. But okay, but like, is he like Freddie Mercury? No, but put him next to Vince Vaughn. I know who I'm picking. Yeah, but <laughs> no, we're gonna have to cut this. <laughs> Maybe Luke Wilson? He's, like, cuter. Yeah, I guess. I'm still trying to, like, think. 
it, 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 but it is kind of like slightly incongruous. What, you're not going to go right? with Seth Rogen? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> you tell us, who do you think should play Mercutio in the, uh, in the Wedding Crashers uh, adaptation? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Curious to know. Is it Cal Penn? Is it Cal is Penn? Is it Seth Rogen? Is it Will Ferrell? <laughs> or is it Will Ferrell? That's your only option. <laughs> Those can't be the only options. <laughs> All right, I'll do a Twitter poll. You'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see. What, what the people... Other. And then other will win. <laughs> there is no other. You called it. Those are the only three choices. <laughs> we are locked in. Uh, okay, so Mercutio is there. Um, and they're all talking about how they're going to this party. Uh, and Mercutio has one of the most famous speeches in the play. It's called the Queen Mab speech. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why? Um... Because he's he who's Mab? Who is Queen Mab? So Romeo is doing his emo thing, and the, this is one of the things I appreciate about Mercutio is that he and Romeo are like he's in his room. He's got My Chemical Romance on. Yep, he's blasting full volume. Simple Plan. Um, <laughs> he's dyed his hair black. Yeah, he's got, he's got that got fringe. <laughs> yeah, the swoop. <laughs> he looks just like he's just been to Hot Topic. He looks just like um, the guy playing Dream in the Netflix Sandman adaptation oh he's quite emo isn't he's he he's extremely yeah. emo that's that's who that's, he is that's, that's 20, that 2022 emo yeah picture that as romeo um no, but with I, like I a mean, red swoop Ooh, ooh, very 2001 um i did i actually loved the sandman on netflix you should watch that um okay so the queen map speech romeo is being all like oh i dreamed a dream tonight <laughs> <laughs> What? Yeah. Is that what he says? Um, because he's, that's a pretty ludicrous statement. He's trying to talk them out of going to the party. It's pretty right? Captain so Obvious. Yeah. So he's, he's trying to talk them out of going to the party. He's trying to be like, oh, you know, I think it's a bad idea. Like, I, I, dreamt, I dreamed. I dreamed a dream. I dreamt this omen kind of thing. Um, and Mercutio's like, oh, really? Because I had a dream too. And then he goes off on one for mm, a good 50 lines uh, about Queen Mab who is the fairy's midwife, apparently. The uh, fairy's midwife. This is what he says. Um, so it's a it's a kind of um, appropriation of a spirit called Samab, um, who is uh, one of the chief earthly spirits of the East in Thomas Nash's Pierce Penniless, which is a publication from the same time period. Um, so Samab is a, is an appropriation already, but then it's shortened to Mab here. Um, thanks, Mabs. Thanks, Mabs, is what Rene Weiss tells us. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, so Queen Mab is supposed to be this kind of like mythical figure who like brings dreams to people. A bit right. Sandman-y. Sandman. A bit Sandman-y, yeah. yes. Um, but a sort of like vaguely Middle Eastern fairy spirit doing that instead of whatever okay. he's called, instead of skinny emo man. <laughs> <laughs> that's his name now yes i don't know the actual i don't name. know his name i probably should but i'm you know you'll enjoy this her chariot is an empty hazelnut mm, i like that idea i like the idea of repurposing hazelnuts yeah for made, vehicular uh, made by a joiner squirrel well i'm sold <laughs> let's sell the car get down to our local squirrel all the squirrels in Castle Park, we, one of them must be a joiner. Yeah. What a great idea. Right? That's how we solve climate change. <laughs> we put the squirrels to work. Get the squirrels working. How, They've they, had it easy far too long. 
Kenobi's had it too good for too the long. Squirrel. The squirrels. How many hazelnuts would we need to make a chariot? I mean, that probably is not good for climate change. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I don't think, I don't think this is, we haven't thought this through. Yeah, but if we invest in hazelnut stocks right now, before this takes off, I'm just saying. Listen, ring, ring, ring. Hello, Liz Truss. Have I got the plan for you? I don't tell her. <laughs> She'll ruin it. Um, the the wagon spokes are made of spider legs. Uh, Very good. And the the cover of this chariot is made from the wings of grasshoppers. Mm. Um, and her collar is made of moonshine's watery beams. Watery beams. Beams. Oh, beams. Beams. No, not like moon. Watery beans, like beans <laughs> before you've drained them out yeah, of the can. Like, like the beans They're just you've like been as soon as yeah. Overnight. <laughs> it's like, ooh, it's all very magical and mystical. And now we have some wet beans. <laughs> <laughs> some unpleasantly wet beans. Um, her whip is made of a cricket's bone. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And her uh, chariot tear is a small grey-coated gnat. What is a chariot tear? He's. The, I'm he's... assuming that the chariot is not upset. <laughs> It's the guy driving. He's a tear. No, he's a he's a wagoner. wagoner. A wagoner. I thought charioteer would be. Oh, sorry. Terror. I thought you said chariot tear. No, chariot like like two words. And I was like, what? Mm, no, what it's is just that? My, it's just my excellent drama school enunciation. Ah, you enunciated. I enunciated chariot tear. Ah. No, not actually. Uh, and he is very tiny. Mm, and she, is she bigger than the squirrel. No, he's not half so big as a round little worm pricked from the lazy finger of a maid. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the other thing you need to know about this speech. It's so misogynist. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Queen Mab gallops night by night through lovers' brains, and then they dream of love. Um, she, uh, she goes, she, he goes through like all these different people that she's going to and all the dreams she gives them um, and all the, you know, all the things she does. Um, but it turns kind of dark towards the end. It gets mm. very like, um, you know, he says it's all again, like it's all kind of mystical and magical. Like she plats the manes of horses in the night um, and all this stuff. And then uh, this is the hag when maids lie on their backs that presses them and learns them first to bear, making them women of good carriage. So suddenly it's about what? childbearing again. Again. Right. And also hag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Romeo cuts him off <laughs> and says, "Well done, Romeo." Yeah, for once. For once. Well done, Romeo. And he says, "Peace, peace, Mercutio. Peace. Thou talkest of nothing. Yeah, shut up." Yeah. Um, and Mercutio says, "True, I talk of dreams, which are the children of an idle brain, begot of nothing but vain fantasy." So Ooh, he's saying, whatever, "Take that, Sandman." Yeah. Whatever fucking dream you had, Romeo, it's only as as important as this long rambling thing I've just done, which you've just yeah. said is nothing. So they go to what the What was party. Romeo's dream that he dreamt to dream? He, he never gets to tell us. Yeah. No, Mercutio steals the spotlight. Oh, classic Mercutio. Classic Merc. He's Classic just... Will Ferrell, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they're going to the party and they can't be stopped. We're still in act one, by the way. So like, one of the things that I find fascinating about this play is that all the stuff that you would know from it, like, or most of the stuff that you would recognize from it, all happens really fucking early. Like right. the we're about to come to the like meet cute scene at the party. The balcony scene is like right after that. Um, all the like, you know, all the lines you would know or most of the lines you would know, the scenes you would recognize mm-hmm. are all in acts one, two and three. And then five. 
and then is that because most people tend to like fall asleep around action and wake up again when they're dead very good film yes very good very good play yes 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 snap snap um yeah probably (laughs) strategic (laughs) but it feels like every time i go back and read again i'm like god this play feels long because all of the juicy stuff the stuff that you like recognize that it's like known for now happens really early yeah so we're here in act one scene five um and it's the party and uh various different things happen before romeo and juliet meet at the party um including that uh tybalt sees romeo seeing juliet Ooh, tybalt tybalt um tybalt is juliet's cousin so sort of Tybalt is to Juliet as Benvolio is to Romeo in terms of family trees. Right. Mercutio is sort of Switzerland. He's not really... He's uh, Midvolio. Yeah, he's Midvolio. <laughs> he's not in... He's not like properly in one family or the other. He seems He's a kind neutral of, party. Yeah, he seems to kind of move but between he's on, them. But he's friends with Romeo. He's right? friends with Romeo. I think he has some kind of connection to the Capulets, but I don't really know what it is. Um, so there's all this... He's kind of... He is Midvolio very much mm. um, and that will be important later Ooh. when we get to the part where he dies <gasps> sorry so Tibble hears Romeo talking to himself um, he, he sees Juliet and he very says very emo yeah very emo he says oh she doth teach the torches to burn bright um, he says that she is beauty too rich for use for earth too dear um, so shows a snowy dove trooping with crows, racist, as yonder lady or her fellow shows. Oh. Yeah, so the idea is that she's she's just like pure white she's like dove so white. by all the black crows. And everybody else is black compared to her. Okay. Yes. Read Kim Hall, everybody. Um, basically this this kind of euphemistic language that gets used in this period about fairness and whiteness being equated with beauty and darkness and blackness being equated with ugliness. It's not just a kind of like euphemistic thing. It is genuinely about like kind of race making and nation making Mm -hmm. and this idea that white people are more beautiful, um, which is clearly bullshit. So Romeo's indulging in in some of that uh, here and Tybalt says this by his voice should be a Montague. So clearly Romeo is pretty easy to tell what family someone belongs to just by their voice. Yeah, especially when you all live in the same town. Yeah. Really obvious. So Tybalt recognizes him as a Montague somehow, um, and he calls for his sword, and he says, oh, how dare he be here? And uh, Capulet sees him and comes over, and he's like, whoa, whoa, Tybalt, what's going on here, man? Uh, And Tybalt's like, oh, there's a Montague here, uncle. And Capulet's like, is it Romeo? And Tybalt's like, yeah, that villain Romeo. And Capulet's like, Calm down. It's a party. He's not hurting anybody. Like, the prince has promised to kill people if we fight again. So let's just, like, no. Chill out. It's not a big deal. Let him have fun. You know, whatever. And Tybalt's like, no, I'll not endure him. Uh, And Capulet gets very uh, shirty with him. And he says, go to, go to, you are a saucy boy. Saucy boy. He's a saucy boy. Oh, yeah. That's the best line. (laughs) Best line in the whole play. Yeah. Yeah. James himself is a saucy boy. That's true. I do like sauces. He loves a sauce. Anything that could possibly be construed as a sauce, James is in. Pretty much. Gravy? Yeah. Yes. Ketchup? Yeah. Yes. Hot sauce? Yeah. Yes. Um, The sauce, like, in a stew, like, the broth 
part of well, the stew. That's a broth. That's a broth, but you still like mop it all up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm a saucy boy. You are a saucy boy. Just like Tibble. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Tibbs. This is it's a skill that I think people in England have that Americans do not have of being able to like somehow eat every drop of sauce or broth or whatever out of a dish. Well, you got to. You got to. It's, it's just That's all you have to say about it's it. It's just it's just the way. It's just the way. This is the way. You can't let any single molecule get a waste. This is it's impressive, honestly. It's every Brit I know can do this. And I have tried, but I do not have the skill. You don't have the the practice. I think the genes for it must be like passed in utero because I can't I've tried. I don't like to waste food, but for some reason even if I think I've cleaned my plate, James's is always like, it barely needs to be washed because there's well, nothing the left point. on it. I'm like achieving two goals. I'm getting a little bit extra sauce in my belly mm-hmm. and I have to do less washing up. I mean, it's just, it's just a win, 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 win. Um, so yeah, if you really want to, if you want to woo James, sauce is the way to go. Yeah. Any sort of sauce. So Tibble is a saucy boy like you. Um, and he is very grouchy about it, but he decides he's not going to challenge Romeo at the party. In the meantime, Romeo and Juliet have found each other and they get their little meet cute. Uh, and the thing that is usually said about this scene that is significant is that it is laid out as a sonnet. Oh. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with sonnets? They're like poet poems. Yes. Do you know anything else about them specifically? They are words. Yes. Poems made of words. Correct. Yeah. Word poems. Word poems. As opposed to those other poems. Yeah. Number about. poems. Yeah. Don't get me started on those. Well, I mean, I have said that I feel like art in general is heading more, has a, has a curve more towards the Dada again after a slash during COVID. So it's possible that we could start to get sound poems and number poems and stuff coming mainstream again. Mm. Go Google Dada noise poems if you want to really entertain yourself today. They're wild. So uh, it's a sonnet. A sonnet in English, because there are different kinds of sonnets. Um, Italian sonnets are the other one that gets taught a lot of the time because Petrarch is the guy who sort of invented the sonnet. He's an Italian sonneteer. Shakespeare bases the style of his sonnets off of those, but they're slightly different. Um, So the English sonnet has 14 lines like the Petrarchan sonnet, the Italian sonnet, but the structure of it is slightly different. So it will usually have um, three quatrains, meaning four lines. Four trains. Together. Yes, four trains. So we've got Greater Anglia, we've got Southwest, (laughs) (laughs) we have Great Western, (laughs) uh, and then a rhyming couplet at the end. Okay. So three groups of four lines and then two tacked on the end so why are sonnets so good why, are sonnets so why good? do people love sonnets um they're very pleasing they're very kind of metrically um sort of yeah ple- pleasing in the sense that they like they always go the same way um so you know what to expect from a sonnet um and sonnets, like a limerick like a limerick yes on any of these kind of like strict 
poetic forms that have like rules you have to follow as a writer. Mm. Um, I'm always quite impressed by it because I struggle with that kind of thing. Like, I'm not a poet anyway. Um, you don't like rules. I don't like rules. No, I do like rules actually. Unfortunately to my detriment, I like rules, but the, <laughs> um, the, what's cool about a sonnet is that it, you have to achieve something sort of beautiful and profound, but within a very kind of rigid structure. Okay. So they're always in iambic pentameter in English and usually somewhere in the third quatrain, you have a turn or in Italian, a volta, um, which is where the kind of argument of the sonnet comes in. So the, the first two um, quatrains are kind of like riffing on a theme and then something changes, usually somewhere in the third quatrain um, that takes us to the couplet, which is usually like the, the summing up. Mm. What's interesting, and they're they're love poems traditionally, right? So oh, love poems. Yes, they're love poems usually, um, which is important because Romeo and Juliet here are going to share a sonnet. Ooh. Yes. So Romeo has the first quatrain all to himself, and he says, "If I profane with my unworthiest hand this holy shrine, the gentle sin is this: my lips to blushing pilgrims ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss." Mm. Mm -hmm. So he has uh, touched her hand, presumably. She is the holy shrine that he's referring and to. And he's a pilgrim. He's a pilgrim. Because nothing's sexier than pilgrims. Well, his lips, are, his lips are pilgrims. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's basically offering to kiss her. It's a bit bold for a first introduction. Romeo, given she's 13. We don't know how old you are, but it was a lot. Stranger danger. <laughs> stranger danger. Um, and she responds in, in an appropriately stranger danger kind of way. Okay. Um, where she says, good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much. <laughs> good pilgrim. Which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. Okay. So she says, you can touch my hand, but that's as far as we go. Yeah. And then we're not going beyond, what is that, 0.5 base. <laughs> not even first base. <laughs> yeah. We're getting up to bat, but <laughs> no further. You're going to strike out here, Rome's. Um, Rome's. So those are the first two quatrains, right? They've had four lines each. Yeah. Now they share the third quatrain. Oh, they share a train. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so Romeo says, have not saints lips and holy palmers too. So he's trying, he's trying it. He's trying. And she says, I pilgrim, because she's so much smarter than him. Pilgrim. She's, she says, Why I pilgrim. Why she say pilgrim all the time? Because she's trying to keep him at arm's length, right? right? She's like, yes, lips that they must use in prayer. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he says, oh, then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. They pray. Grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Uh, and then she says, saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. And he says, then move not while my prayer's effect I take. And he kisses her. James is shaking his damn head. <laughs> well, yeah. It's not the most convincing pickup line. Anything that involves four quatrains, <laughs> I think I think she's out of there. <laughs> four quatrains and religious devotion. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very sexy, is it? No. But what is sexy about it and, and what... Um, scholars tend to comment on with this scene is that the sonnet is a love poet as a poetic form right is all about love and desire yeah. and by sharing a sonnet it puts Ooh. them kind of metrically in tune with each other 
right? Because a sonnet is such a strict form. Yeah. There's only, pretty much only one way it can go in English. Um, I mean, some English writers play around with Italian style sonnets, but Shakespeare is not here. Um, so for them to be, they're, they're literally finishing each other's poetry, right? Oh, yes. Shakespeare likes that, doesn't he? He does like that. Um, which, which to us in the audience metrically kind of puts them in sync with each other. Yeah. They're um, finishing each other's sentences. Li- yeah. And not, not even finishing each other's sentences, finishing each other's meter, right? Finishing yeah. each other's rhymes, finishing each other's mm. love poem. So they're, so even though the kind of content of the sonnet is not necessarily super sexy, the idea that they're... Should we share a sonnet? Yeah, that they are, they're kind of metrically in tune with each other mm. suggests to us that this, is a, that this is a desirable relationship. Okay. Uh, so he kisses her. Thus from my lips by thine my sin is purged. And she says... Still going with that metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she says, well, then have my lips the sin that they have took. And he says, oh, sin from my lips. Oh, trespass sweetly urged. Give me my sin again. He kisses her again. And she says, you kiss by the book. Oh, snap. <laughs> Which is, again, not a ringing endorsement of his uh, prowess. No, I don't really get that vibe from him. Can you imagine if the first time you kissed me, I was like, mm, you kissed by the book. Mm, that was adequate. That was te- textbook kiss. It's fine. I, I mean, you did all the things that you were. That's the sort to of do. thing I expect Medvolio to say. <laughs> Medvolio, <laughs> it's fine. Medvolio would know. He would know. You get the sense that Medvolio sleeps around. Yeah, but everyone he sleeps with is average. Yeah, to him. To him. But like they have the best night of their life. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, nah, still looking for it. Then the nurse interrupts them. Um, so Juliet's mother is looking for her, and she she sort of takes Juliet away. Um, and Romeo wants to know who her mother is, and he realizes that she is the daughter of Capulet. Um, and he, uh, yeah, is obviously upset about this. Then Juliet, a moment later, finds out that he is a Montague, um, and she reacts like more strongly than you'd think from the way she responds to him in the in the kiss bit. Um, she says, "My only love sprung from my only hate, too early seen unknown and known too late." Mm. Mm-hmm. so she's smitten yeah yeah interesting for someone who said that he kisses by the book i mean or is it just a, a she little... is 13 so yeah. it, like there's a there's a reading of that that is like oh i've only read about kisses in books uh, okay and this is like that okay right like a like like a romance novel oh not that not that romance novels as such existed in this period but that kind of thing Right, where it's like this is this is what I expected my first kiss to be like. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. Mm. Okay. We get another bit from the chorus, but we're gonna skip it. It's not very important. Um, Benvolio and Mercutio are looking for Romeo, so they've left the party. The party has ended, um, and they can't find Romeo. They can't find Romeo because he has scaled the Capulet's garden wall, and he's hiding in the garden looking for Juliet. And this is where we get the big famous balcony scene, which has no balcony in it. Yes. Although I've seen the balcony, so... The balcony. Uh, I, I know it's real. Yeah. <laughs> From that fictional play. James, we're going to have to have a conversation <laughs> about, the, about the tooth fairy. <laughs> yeah. um, but soft. 
What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Julia is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief that thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. What's so bad about the moon? I like the moon. The moon, this is what he's saying. The moon is great, but uh, Julia is even better. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm a pretty big fan of the moon over here. Who are we casting as Julia in this uh, bizarre wedding crashers <laughs> adaptation? <laughs> Um, I was going to say, um, what's her name? Rachel McAdam. Rachel McAdam from Wedding Crashers. Yeah. It's just the Wedding Crashers cast. <laughs> I know, that was a very lazy choice. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how old Rachel McAdams is, but I assume it's younger than Vince Vaughn. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, okay, fine. So Rachel McAdams is the sun and, and all other women are the moon. Like, they just reflect the beauty of Rachel McAdams. According to uh, Romeo. And he goes on and on about that for a bit. Um, you know, oh, it is my lady. Oh, it is my love. And um, blah, blah, blah. She rests her cheek on her hand and sighs. And he says, oh, I wish I were a glove on that hand so I could oh, touch your cheek. Uh, very Prince Charles wishing to be a tampon energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, King Charles now. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies, Your Majesty. But you did say it. You it's did on the say that. Your Highness. <laughs> it is on the record. Um, yeah, but that very like that kind of energy, right? Like trying to be. Does she just do anything? And he's like, oh, I wish I was the chair. Oh, I wish I was the, <laughs> the wagon. Literally. Um, he, you know, he says uh, that her, her eyes are so bright that uh, birds would sing and think it were not night. Um, so all these like. You know, she speaks, oh, speak again, bright angel, like very, you know, besotted. They met oh. an hour ago. And also up until an hour ago, he was in love with someone else to the extent that he didn't even want to go to this party because she wouldn't be there. It's maybe a hot take or it may not be, maybe a pretty lukewarm take, but Romeo's pretty annoying, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Romeo sucks. If you take nothing else away from this episode, just like understand that Romeo is the worst. He's like... He's exactly that kind of mopey teenager who's like really horny, but channels it through being obsessed. Yes. And what's interesting is that Juliet is absurdly young in the, right? Like she's, you know, in, in the sources, she's more like 16, which is a little bit more of an appropriate age in this period to be thinking about marriage. But she's 13 and she has her shit together way more than Romeo does. Could Romeo be younger? He could be a similar age to her. Um, he could be maybe 15, 16. I think often like modern productions, they cast them closer in age. So it's not creepy. It's creepy. Yeah. yeah. And Paris is often a little bit older. But the, yeah, it's it's hard to do. I, I think personally, the kind of marriage politics of Romeo and Juliet make it hard to do a modern interpretation well. Because the idea of They're like... so fixed about her age. Yeah. I mean, well... I say that in America at the moment, we do have 13 year olds being forced to give birth because they are not allowed to get an abortion. So maybe it's not so far fetched. Ugh. Okay. So Romeo is obsessed um, and Juliet doesn't know he's there and she's leaning out her window, which is not a balcony. Um, and she says the infamous lines, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And wherefore means? Where? No. Wherefore Who? means why. Who? What? Why? How? You got there in the end. <laughs> how? How art thou, Romeo? <laughs> how, Romeo, how are you? 
<laughs> How yeah. are you, Romeo? Yeah. It's been ages since I've seen you. <laughs> why art thou, Romeo? Yes. Why are you, Romeo? Is, is what she actually says. I mean, it does make more sense. Yeah. Instead of where are you? Like, literally, where are you? Where, I'm where, here. I'm where here. are you located? I can't find you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we synced our iPhones. Um, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Why are you, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt not be, but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Oh. She's thinking marriage. Her mom told her, think about getting married, so. Here she is. She's thinking about getting on board that wagon. She's getting on board that marriage, marriage wagon. wagon. Younger than she, our mother's happy maid or whatever the line is. Um, and Romeo has this little aside where he's like, oh, should I keep stalking her or should I interrupt? Hi, I'm Romeo. I'm here. <laughs> you said wherefore. I'm right here. You wherefore just, means you, why, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she goes on and on about how tis but thy name that is my enemy, right? Um, and what it's just not the name Romeo well it's more that it's more Montague than Romeo <laughs> yeah. that we have the issue with <laughs> um, she says what's Montague it is not hand nor foot nor arm nor face nor any other part belonging to a man ooh dick yeah <laughs> no subtlety <laughs> be some other name she says what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet etc etc all, all the famous lines we're just ticking off ticking Tick off famous off. lines in this get scene. it done um and romeo hears all of this and decides now is his time to make himself known in the most dramatic jump way out of the bushes because that's not creepy right literally leaps out of a tree and says i take thee at thy word call me butt love and i'll be new baptized <laughs> call, call him butt love <laughs> <laughs> That joke has been made many times. <laughs> I've not, I've not heard that joke. Before. Have you not? No. Oh well, now you know. You, welcome to to the Shakespeare Club. Ah, butt yeah. love. Yeah. Yeah. Call me butt love. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I know. See what I found that a lot more funny than you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Call me butt love, and I'll be new baptized henceforth. I never will be Romeo. And she responds as anybody would, by saying, <laughs> who the fuck are you? Because she met this guy once, and now he's in her garden, calling up to her window. She's in her nightdress, very unseemly. Um, and he says, she says, what man art thou that thus bes bescreened in night, so stumblest on my counsel? Oh, bescreened. Mm -hmm. And then he refuses to tell her who he is. And what? He has this little thing where he's like, oh, well, I want, I don't want to tell you my name because it's your, it's the name of your enemy. And if I had my name written down, I would tear it up. And she's like, oh, it's Romeo. Oh, it's that guy. <laughs> yeah. The long-winded um, guy. Yeah. She says, oh, are, are you not Romeo and a Montague? And he says, neither, fair maid, if either thee dislike. Um, Tell me your fucking name. Right. <laughs> and then she's like, how did you even get in here? Like, you couldn't possibly have climbed the orchard walls. Um, and also, my cousins will murder you if they see you here. Like, what is wrong with you? And he says, with love's light wings did I o'erperch these walls. For stony limits cannot hold love out. Slipping his fringe as he Yeah, as I don't know. I think if you built a castle strong enough, you probably could. Yeah. 
It's just poor craftsmanship. It's just really, poor craftsmanship. On the part of the Catholics. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, in the 1500s, they were just knocking those houses up, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> really shitty new builds. Yeah, not not like know. those good old 1200s. Blur builds. Homes nonsense going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the 1200s, they really knew how to build a castle. Exactly. Well, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Uh, and she's still like, okay, but if they see you, they will murder you. Like, they will actually kill you. Um, and he, they go back and forth on this theme for a little bit. And then she's like, how did you even find out that my room was here? And he says, by love. That first did prompt me to inquire. Anyway. Love, also known as stalking. Yes. <laughs> mm, Romeo, what a dick. <laughs> so she... Um, finally like moves off of how did you get here why are you here everyone will murder you if they know you're here and she um says thou knowest the mask of night is on my face else would a maiden blush paint my cheek for that which thou hast heard me speak tonight so you know you paint should a cheek what like a, like a like, like a cat yes <laughs> like yes face like a face no like like she'd be blushing blushing I know. so she'd be pink in the cheeks <laughs> Or like a pink cat. Um, mostly like a pink cat. Her dad is a large cat, so I guess it makes sense. It's true. She'd be a cat. She'd be half cat. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he. Cat you look. What? <laughs> <laughs> did you say cat you look? I did. <laughs> and then you made your I know I've been cheeky face. <laughs> oh, I make that face a lot. Let's you just do. let's just be honest. You have reason to make that face a lot. You saucy boy. <laughs> um, yeah, so she said pretty much like you should never have heard that, that that stuff that I said about being in love with you. And if it wasn't dark, you would see that I'd be blushing. Um, and I would really like to take it back and deny what I said, but I don't really want to. So dost thou love me? I know thou wilt say I, and I will take thy word. Yet if thou swearest, thou mayst prove false. So she's testing him. She says, and, you know, and, and she's also like, oh, I know that I'm not supposed to, because like women in this period, you're not supposed to come out and say that you love somebody. You're supposed to sort of be hard to get. You're supposed mm. to, you know, the, the kind of good thing for a, a virgin to do is to, um, as she says, frown and be perverse and say thee nay, so thou wilt woo. Okay. Yeah, that was like the done thing. Well, play hard to get. Not even play hard to get, but just like seem like Just like frown. Just like yeah. seem like you don't want it. Yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, obviously if you seem like you want it too much, then you're a big slut. Oh. We can't have that. God forbid people just, like, say how they feel. Right, right. God forbid we accept that, like, women can enjoy sex. Yeah, gotta, gotta keep them frowning. Oh, okay, so... Um, so she wants him to kind of make a make a true statement of love. Um, and to Well, he is sort of just... Yeah, but she's saying so much it becomes meaningless. Exactly. So she's like, I just I need to know that you actually love me and you're not just being capricious and you're not just playing with my feelings or you know, we're not gonna wake up tomorrow and and you'll like just run away. And so he says, Okay, lady, by yonder blessed moon, I swear that tips with silver all these fruit tree tops, and she cuts them off. She says, Swear not by the moon. <laughs> because the moon is very changeable. The moon goes through phases, the moon goes away and then comes back. Don't swear by the moon, lest that thy love prove likewise variable. And he says, okay, well, what should I swear by then? Like, he's out of ideas already. 
And she says, do not swear at all. Um, or if thou wilt, swear by thy gracious self. And then he says, if my heart's dear love, and she cuts him off again, no, no, just, just don't swear. No, do not swear. Mm. Um, and she says, although I joy in thee, I have no joy in this contract tonight. So she's, she's slowing it down. She's like, whoa, I know we got to, to base 0 0.75 earlier, but I'm 13. <laughs> I don't know how old you are because nobody ever tells me. And you're in the dark. And you're in the dark and you scaled this, albeit shadowly built wall <laughs> to, to stalk me to my bedroom. Uh, so we need to slow this down a little bit. Um, and she sends him away. She says, good night. Good night, good night, I'm leaving. And he says, oh, wilt thou leave me so unsatisfied? Shaking his damn head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was hoping for like a Rapunzel situation. What, Romeo? Mm -hmm. He was wanting to get some. It's exactly what I said. He's he's really horny and he's channeling it through love, love. Actually, he just wants to get that dick out. Yep. He would like to get to at least second base tonight. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, well, what satisfaction can you possibly have tonight? And he, he walks it back. He walks it back. The exchange of thy love's faithful vow for mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so they go back and forth on that a little bit more. Um, and the nurse starts calling for Juliet. So she has to leave. Um, and she says, oh, hang on. Just wait. I'm going to go deal with the nurse. I'll come back. Then she comes back and she says, all right, here's the deal. If that thy bent of love be honorable, thy purpose marriage, send me word tomorrow and I'll come and marry you. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of calling his bluff, I think. It's a little bit of like, fine, you're going to climb this garden wall. You're going to show up at my room. You want to be satisfied? Marry me, bitch. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Is that what went on her gravestone? Well, yes. At the end. After Marry she died. me, bitch. Marry me, bitch. Yeah. Uh, the nurse is calling for her, so there's this added like sense of urgency. Um, and they say goodnight, and Romeo agrees to do this, and then she comes back and she says, Wait, what time should I send someone to get the, the information about our marriage from you? And he's like, Oh, send someone at nine. And then she leaves again. Oh, fine. Anyway, uh, and this is where we get parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be tomorrow. Famous lines, famous lines, famous lines. Um, Romeo gets a little soliloquy at the end about how in love he is and then we don't know because we haven't figured that out yet um, and then he we have sort of like continuous time into the next scene where we meet Romeo's confessor Friar Lawrence ah yes <laughs> so Friar Lawrence gets a speech um, that is it's a very uh, like you know the bit in Wayne's World where Chris Farley gives them all that detailed information about the record executives uh, yeah. trip and they're like, oh, okay. And then it comes in handy. Yeah, it seemed extraneous at the time. That's it. Yeah. That's how this speech is. So it's yeah. a speech about how like some herbs are really beneficial and others are very poisonous. And it seems really extraneous. But of course, Romeo dies by poison later. And also later, Friar Lawrence gives Juliet a potion that makes it seem like she's dead, even though she's not. Mm. Spoiler alert. Sorry to everybody who didn't know the story of Romeo and Juliet before today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Romeo comes in in the middle of this speech um, and confesses to Friar Lawrence uh, that he has not been to bed tonight. 
Uh, and Romeo says, the sweeter rest was mine. And Friar Lawrence is like, God pardon sin. <laughs> Hast thou been with Rosaline? Um, and Romeo's like, fucking who? <laughs> like, no, Rosaline, my ghostly father. No, I have forgot that name and that name's woe. And Friar Lawrence is like, slow down, slow down, slow down. Because literally yesterday, mm-hmm. you were wandering through the woods in bare feet at dawn, pining about Rosaline. So what happened? Tells him the story, and he says that he wants to get married today. Friar Lawrence tries to talk him out of it. Friar Lawrence is like, he he's like, he's very avuncular, right? Yeah. He's a real, like, kind of, you know, big uncle energy. Yeah. He ultimately doesn't actually stop anything of the bad things that happens. He but gives like, them the poison, right? Yeah. Where does Romeo get the poison from? From an apothecary. Ah. Mm-hmm. They're just selling poison. Just selling poison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he does, the apothecary doesn't really want to sell it to him. There's a whole scene about that later. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So Friar Lawrence kind of tries to talk him out of it. Um. And Romeo is it, like, is it like behind the counter? Yeah. Um. But then, uh, no, it tries to talk him out of marrying Juliet. Um. And he's like, literally 24 hours ago, you were in love with somebody else. So like, maybe let's just slow down here. And Romeo is adamant that he's going to do this. And then Friar Lawrence thinks to himself, well. Maybe by marrying a Capulet, actually the silver lining is that it will mend the ancient grudge between the families. So he agrees to do it because he thinks it will be a bridge to peace between the two families. But at the end, he says, ominously, wisely and slow, they stumble that run fast. Oh. Mm. Um, Benvolio and Mercutio... Um, are talking about Tybalt. <laughs> and this is where we learn that Tybalt is called the Prince of Cats. Ah, cats again. Yeah, the cat, the Capulet cats. Yeah. It's like Cats the Musical. It is. In the Capulet house. It is. Yeah. Genical cats. Da, 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 da. Who's the Prince of Cats? Is there a Prince of Cats the in prin- Cats? The Prince of Cats is Tybalt. Oh, no, in, in Cats. In Cats. Um, I don't know. I guess the Rum Tum Tugger is kind of the Prince okay. of Cats. Yeah. His actual name. Mm. Rum Tum Tugger. I probably can't sing any more of that without getting a lawsuit from the uh, Lloyd Webber estate. So <laughs> keep that under wraps. Um, it is probably a Prince of Cats for Tybalt. The note in uh, the Arden 3 tells us is probably derived from Tybert, a near homophone of Tybalt. Tybert, maybe. Um Prince of Cats in medieval folklore um, via Reynard the Fox. Ah, good old Reynard. Good old Reynard. Um, the title Prince of Cats for Tibble is first used by Thomas Nash in Have With You. Ah, he's loving a bit of Nash. He's loving he? a bit of Nash. Yeah, lots of Nash references in here. He's just noshing down on Nash. <laughs> Extra appropriate because I believe today is... Nash Day. I think it's Rosh Hashanah. Okay. <laughs> for which you would nosh. Oh, after you fast it's true so not not nash day no celebration of we won't, we, won't be, we won't be releasing this on rosh hashanah but uh belated happy new year to all our jewish listeners mm-hmm. um okay so they're talking about tibble um, and we hear about how he's a great swordsman he's he's trained in sword i wonder things. why we're hearing about that yeah gosh a little i bit wonder where this is going 
Um, but through this, we also learn that Mercutio is a very good swordsman, right? Because he knows all the terms and he understands mm. like what makes Tybalt such a great fighter. Does, does he keep his sword next to Chekhov's gun? He does. Yeah. Yeah. It's the gun and the sword. <laughs> they just hang out together. Anton Chekhov himself actually enters at this point to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> you've mentioned a sword in act two. <laughs> Romeo comes in um, and they have a bit of bants. Laddie bants. Laddie bants between Romeo and Mercutio. We get to see more of the development of Romeo and Mercutio's relationship. It's clear that they are very close friends. They're kind of also sort of finishing each other's sentences. Bromance. It is a bit of a bromance. A yeah. bromian. A bromeo. bromeo. <laughs> that Brom- didn't work. Bromeo. Therefore, out though, bromeo. Is that what Mercutio says? Oh, yes. Uh, The nurse arrives, having come at nine o'clock from Juliet to get the information about... A lot of stuff's going on before nine o'clock. Yeah, I know. They're up really early, having just been at a party and up all night. Yeah, if 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 I've been to a party the night before, nothing is happening before 9 a.m. This is how we know that Romeo is younger than 30. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Because he hasn't been to bed yet. (laughs) He hasn't slept yet. Yeah, that's... Makes him a bit less creepy. Yeah. Um... So the nurse comes in, uh, Mercutio kind of harasses her a little bit, um, and then eventually he leaves, and the nurse and Romeo kind of uh, have a bit of back and forth. She's kind of trying to to test him to see if he actually loves Julia as much as he says he does. He gives her the information that they that Friar Lawrence will marry them at his cell later that afternoon. Act two, scene five. Julia is at home waiting for the nurse. She sent the nurse out at nine. Um, the nurse promised to be back in half an hour. Uh, but now it is 12 and she's not back yet. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So Juliet's freaking out because she's 13. Mm-hmm. She's a 13 year old girl. They're very impatient. So she goes on and on a bit about how stupid and slow the nurse is <laughs> and how she wishes she'd hurry up. Uh, and the nurse comes back and uh, trolls her a little bit. By saying, oh, my feet really hurt. Oh, I've got such a headache. And Juliet's like, just tell me what Romeo said. And the nurse is like, would you rub my feet first? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the whole scene happens. It's quite funny. Um, And then the nurse finally says, have you got leave to go to confession today? It's Italy. Dirty, sexy Catholics, Mm -hmm. as we know. Um, And Juliet says, Yes. And then the nurse says, well, in that case, you need to go to Friar Lawrence's cell this afternoon because there stays a husband to make you a wife. I've got a question for you. Hmm. Friar Lawrence. Yes. Is his first name Lawrence or his surname Lawrence? I don't know. How do Friar names work? I don't know, but neither sound Italian. That's true. No, Lawrence is Italian. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I've never known an Italian Lawrence. Yeah, I know a few Italian Lawrences. Do you? Maybe it's certain parts of Italy. Maybe. Hmm. Not like Lorenzo. I thought that was sort of like Lauren. Maybe it's a, like, anglicization. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Um, Yeah, I'll have to ask. I don't know if Lorenzo is the Italian of Lawrence. I'm making (laughs) wild assumptions here. (laughs) Disclaimer, neither of us speak Italian. Um, Okay, so anyway, there we are. Um, Friar Lawrence and Romeo are together waiting for Juliet. Juliet arrives 
Um, and the stage direction is actually in the original edition because a lot of a lot of the stage directions you see in Shakespeare were not actually part of the original printing. They're added mm-hmm. later by editors. You can always tell because the ones that have been added will have square brackets around them. Oh, mm-hmm. a little tidbit for you students in the audience oh, studying tidbits. for your Shakespeare essays. So if there's no square brackets, you can assume that that was part of the of the. OG. Of the OG. Yeah, not the manuscript necessarily, but the, the first version that was printed. So it says, enter Juliet somewhat fast and embraces Romeo. Mm, somewhat fast. Somewhat fast. Not too fast. No. Um, that sounds so English. Right? Somewhat fast. Somewhat fast. Yeah. Allegro molto. Um, it should be. They're in Italy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, first, Lawrence. <laughs> now somewhat fast. <laughs> Uh, the RSC production from 2016, I think, um, had a really nice touch in the costuming here because it was nine in the morning when, after a party, when Juliet sent the nurse to go and get the information from Romeo. Um, and she clearly never got dressed because she was sort of still in her jammies when the nurse got back, like sort Mm. of, like sort of a tracksuit kind of. Like a chav. No, not like you have. Like she's come back from JD Sports. No, no, but like like I'm wearing like a kind of hoodie and hoodie and cozy trousers kind of thing. Right. Like she's planning to stay at home all day. Um and she went to the wedding in the same clothes. So like so excited to marry Romeo that she didn't even change into a dress, which I thought was quite cute because mm. it is a very like 13-year-old thing to do, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um and anyway, Friar Lawrence uh, agrees to marry them, and uh, the wedding happens off stage. Your favorite kind. I feel like that's a important plot point. <laughs> Again, we need evidence that they they, they did actually get married. Surely, yeah. um, Friar Lawrence could have just been having them on. Yeah, we will never know. We don't know the motives of Friar Lawrence. It's true. Could be dastardly. He could be mm. dastardly Lawrence. Dastardly. Okay, so. There's a little bit of a theory about this play that Ooh. the first half feels like it could be a comedy. Okay. Because it's all about love. Right? You know, there it has sort of the same setup as something like a Midsummer Night's Dream. As you like it. As you like it. There's definitely it. A, a lot of energy with Romeo and uh, what's his face? Orlando. Orlando. Yeah. Romeo and Orlando. They're like emo buds. Yeah. Writing shit poetry together. Act three is where it changes. So there's a um, there's a kind of argument that the death of Mercutio is the point at which we definitely enter tragedy territory. Not just because he dies, is <laughs> the first like onstage death of the play, um, but also because he's representative of something, right? So he's yeah, a kind Mercury. Of, yeah, Mercury. So once you've killed off Mercutio, you've lost that kind of comic potential in right. the play. There's no one yeah, to once balance. Once you've killed off Will Ferrell. Yeah. <laughs> once you've Where killed do you Will go Ferrell, from that? it's going to be a tragedy. I'm, I'm still putting in my vote for Cal Penn. Once you've killed Cal Penn, <laughs> it's a tragedy. Um, because there's no one to balance out that emoness from Romeo anymore. Right. Um, and also, there's, there's something about Mercutio where, like, because he's sort of neutral territory, right? He's not a Capulet or a Montague. He's kind of in this weird middle place. Um, and because he's killed by Tybalt, it kind of reactivates a lot of the 
animosity between the families. Anyway, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but I'm just sort of prefacing, prefacing Act 3, which we're about to enter. So we've done a lot of exposition up to this point. It's all the setup up to now. And now is when the kind of action... The bodies start popping. The the bodies start piling up. Um, We start to get some serious, tragic action. Yeah. Starting. And if you've come to see Romeo and Juliet, that's what you're there for. Mm. Yes. Okay. So Mercutio and Benvolio are out. It's a hot day. The Capulets are abroad. And if we meet them, we shall not scape a brawl. For now, these hot days is the mad blood stirring. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do, in fact, meet them. Tybalt comes on he's stereotyping italians there isn't he a little bit yeah it's the hot it's the hot temperatures that make them so violent <laughs> for those who cannot see james right now he just did like a um you know the, boy. yeah you know those like big blowy things they the like he got outside like a car what are they actually called oh god they had a name i, I learned the name we learned the, every time we have this conversation we learn the name and then we forget it but you know those like those like air blow things with the arms they're really tall that they have it like yeah like i want one outside our house okay sure we can do that <laughs> <laughs> we do have an inflatable penguin for christmas that's true courtesy of my dad um best christmas gift ever really so tybalt comes in um and tybalt and mercutio get into it and they start fighting. Um, and Benvolio tries to break them up. Uh, it's not going very well. And Romeo comes in. And Romeo has just married Juliet, right? So he's come sort of fresh from the wedding. And uh, Tybalt and Mercutio are fighting. And Tybalt's like, oh, you're the one, actually, that I would like to kill. Ah. And Romeo says, Tybalt, the reason I have to love thee doth much excuse the appertaining rage to such a greeting. Villain am I none. Therefore, farewell, I see thou knowest me not. So he's, he tries to like diffuse it because Tybalt is now his cousin because he's married yes. Juliet. Right. But Tybalt can't know this. No. That would be bad. Tybalt uh, does not take no for an answer on this. <laughs> Fucking Tybalt. Fucking Tybalt still wants to have a fight. Mercutio still wants to have a fight. Um, They fight. uh, And Romeo, um, in the midst of this fighting, somehow gets between them. And Tybalt, aiming for Romeo, stabs Mercutio. So Tybalt runs away initially. Mercutio um, realizes that it is a, a grievous hurt. He is seriously injured. Um, he says, I'm hurt, a plague on both your houses. I am sped. Um, is he gone and hath nothing? Meaning, has Tybalt run away and, and I, we didn't hurt him at all? Um, and Mercutio is trying to say, oh, you know, it's a scratch, it's a scratch. But he says, Mary, tis enough, as in enough to kill me. Um, they send for a doctor. Um, Romeo tries to comfort him, but Mercutio sort of goes off on him um, and is is kind of joking all the way to the end. So he says, ask for me tomorrow and you shall find me a grave man. I um, mean, he keeps repeating a plague on both your houses, a plague on both your houses. Um, and he says to Romeo, why did you come between us? I was hurt under your arm. Um, plague on both your houses. They've made worms meat of me. Um, and he exits with Benvolio. Uh-huh. And this is where genuinely the play like turns really on a dime to tragedy. Mm. Um, and so Mercutio kind of joking all the way out. That's like the last kind of humor that we get for quite Ooh. a while. Benvolio comes back, tells Romeo that Mercutio is dead. 
Tybalt comes back, Romeo is furious, and he kills Tybalt. Of course. Um, Now, remember that the prince said that he would execute anybody who disturbed the peace again, right? So Romeo's... Romeo has a price on his head now. Yeah, because Tybalt's already dead. Tybalt's already dead. Mercutio's already dead. They were the only ones fighting. Yeah. So Romeo is public enemy number one. Yeah. So Benvolio encourages him to run away. Um, You know, the prince will doom thee death if thou art taken, hence be gone away. Romeo, emo boy that he is, says, oh, I am fortune's fool. Yes. Um, And he does run away. The prince comes in. Um, and Benvolio tries to explain what has happened. Lady Capulet arrives, sees that Tybalt is dead, demands justice for Tybalt from the prince, um, and the prince uh, goes easy on Romeo by saying he's um, he's not sentenced to death, but he's exiled. So uh, immediately we do exile him hence, um, and if he ever comes back to Verona after being exiled, then he will be executed. Mm-hmm. Juliet, however, knows none of this yet. So Juliet is still in a comedy, right? right Juliet okay. is still in a love story. And then the very next scene after the prince kind of wraps that all up, um, we get Juliet anticipating her wedding night. And this is actually one of my favorite speeches ever. I think it's oh, so great. Really? Yeah, it is. It is up there. It's in my top 10, I think. Well done, Bill. Yeah. Good job, Bill. Uh, Juliet's cool. Juliet deserves a much better play than this. I'll be honest. And a better man. Mm-hmm. So she says, Gallop apace, you fiery-footed steeds, toward Phoebus' lodging. Ooh. Mm-hmm. As in, get here right now, sunset. I'm horny. Yeah. Get me that D. Yes. Give me that sweet Romeo D. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Spread thy close curtain, love-performing night, that runaway's eyes may wink, and Romeo leap to these arms untalked of and unseen. Come, civil knight, thou sober-suited matron, all in black, and learn me how to lose a winning match played for a pair of stainless maidenhoods. Um, come, knight, come, Romeo, come, thou day. She says come a lot. Oh, she um, wants to come. The Well, actually, as far as I know, come was not a euphemism oh, is for orgasm not? in this period. No. When did come become become come? I don't know. We need a we need a linguist for that. A, um, a, yeah. Yeah. A le- lexicographer. I don't know. We need we need somebody who knows about the history of words for that. But I'm an etymologist. Sure, an etymologist. I'm pretty sure that that come was not used euphemistically that way in this period. Mm. However, she does say it an awful lot in this speech. Mm. So modern productions, it's sort of inevitable. Come, gentle knight. Come, loving black-browed knight. Give me my Romeo, and when I shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars, and he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. Mm. she's excited she says she's so excited it's it's like the night before a party when you have a pretty new dress but you're not allowed to wear it yet i, I know that feeling so yeah, well i know i know you love a pretty new dress it's true we have to keep it keep it locked away before christmas yeah. otherwise you're just gonna i don't want to blow it. it before there's a big party yeah mm. don't want to waste it on some small pie no it's gonna be for the, the right party mm-hmm. um the nurse arrives and she has brought a ladder with her um, because Romeo is going to pull a Rapunzel and sneak I into Juliet's oh, okay. room because nobody knows. It's not like a wedding present. No. <laughs> it's a ladder. A traditional Italian <laughs> wedding gift. A ladder. <laughs> no, like a rope ladder. 
Uh, okay. That Romeo's going to use to climb into her window. And because nobody except the nurse and Friar Lawrence knows, knows that Romeo and Juliet are married. Um, and the first thing the nurse says mm-hmm. is, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. We're undone, lady, we're undone. Alack the day, he's gone, he's killed, he's dead. Now, if you were Juliet, who would you think she was talking about? Romeo. Yes, but she's not. Friar Lawrence. <laughs> Romeo. She's talking about Tybalt. Yeah. Right. Um. So Juliet thinks she's talking about Romeo for quite a while. There's a bit of confusion back and forth. Um, and then finally, the nurse says, oh, Tybalt, Tybalt, the best friend I had, oh, courteous Tybalt, honest gentleman that ever I should live to see thee dead. And Juliet says, wait a minute, Romeo and Tybalt are dead? Uh, and then finally, they they clear up the confusion. Um, but it's very sad. And Foreshadowing. Then she out, yeah. Well, then she finds out it's even worse because Romeo's not dead, but he killed Tybalt. Oh, bad boy. Yeah. So her husband killed her cousin. Um and they go back and forth on this theme for a bit. Um, and she, uh, the nurse says, will you speak well of him that killed your husband? And she says, "Shall or killed your cousin. And she says, shall I speak ill of him that is my husband? So there's this con- conflict. conflict of duty. Yes, conflict of duty in Juliet. She gets a long speech. Um, and then she learns that Romeo is banished, banished, as it, as it is in the verse. Um, and she is very sad about this, and she's sad about Tybalt. Um, it's all it's all tears, tears, tears. Very sad. Chariot Rome- tears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chariot's crying. Yes, the chariot's crying. Um, the, and hazel- the, the hazelnut, the squirrel joiner. Oh, the all- squirrel joiner. I know, poor squirrel joiner. Isn't that very sweet? He is very sweet, and he's sad too. Aww. Everyone is sad. Oh, the squirrel. The poor squirrel. Romeo, meanwhile, has fled to Friar Lawrence, and Friar Lawrence is kind of hiding him until he can get him out of Verona. Um, And Friar Lawrence is the one who delivers the news to him that he is not sentenced to death, but he is banished. Um, And Romeo has a a very, very emo (laughs) reaction to this, as you'd expect. Um, He says, ha, banishment, be merciful, say death. For exile hath more terror in his look, much more than death, do not say banishment. There is no world without Verona's walls, but purgatory, torture, hell itself. Oh, that's a massive overreaction. Yeah. He's got off quite lightly. Yes. Well, and Friar Lawrence is like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're, just, you're not dead. Like, you're not being killed. Right. Like, this is dear mercy, and thou seest yeah. it not, he says. Uh, Romeo says, tis torture and not mercy, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, yeah, Friar Lawrence is, uh, says, I see that madmen have no ears. He, like, can't reason with him. Um, and the nurse arrives and uh, she brings tidings from the Lady Juliet and Friar Lawrence is like, oh, thank God, maybe you can talk some sense into him. Um, and the nurse says, oh, he is even in my mistress case. Um, like they're both as, as sad as each other. Uh, and the nurse kind of, and, and anyway, the nurse says, uh, Juliet says nothing, sir, but weeps and weeps and now falls on her bed and then starts up and then Tybalt calls and then on Romeo cries and then down falls again. So they're all just, everybody's crying. She's very loud. <laughs> everybody's screaming. And Romeo um, gets out a, a knife and tries to kill himself. And Friar Lawrence is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Hold thy desperate hand. Art thou a man? Um, and then he gets a little bit toxic masculinity on him for a minute and says, these tears are womanish. Oh, mm, how dare he? Um, 
And he sort of tries to reason with him. He's like, listen, like, you are alive and Tybalt tried to kill you. That's a blessing. Juliet's alive and you're married. That's a blessing. She still loves you, even though you murdered her cousin. That's a good thing. You are not going to be executed by the prince. He just exiled you. That's a good thing. Like, calm down. Let's check your privilege, Romeo. Right, exactly. Check your privilege, Romeo. Let's make a plan. And Friar Lawrence says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go to Mantua. Next town over. Um, and I am going to make a plan. And I'll send you letters when... I'll send you a letter with the plan in I'll it. send out uh, postal forwarding. Yeah. Forwarding. Mm-hmm. Royal Mail. Yep, exactly. I will set up Royal Mail postal forwarding. And I will send you a letter in Mantua when I have a plan. Meanwhile, back at the Capulet house. Old Capulet. Old Capulet. Yes, Lord Capulet and his wife. And oh, not like grandfather Capulet. No, there's no granddaddy gra- Capulet. No, there is no granddaddy Capulet. He was probably murdered by a Montague. That's true. My <laughs> granddaddy Montague. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's how it all started. Ooh, granddaddy. Well, probably went back further than probably ancient. That. Ancient grudge implies. But like great, 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 great granddaddy Capulet. Yes, six times great granddaddy Capulet. Yeah, murdered by six times great granddaddy Montague. Avenged by five times great granddaddy Capulet. And then it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Etc. It's a miracle we have two, you know, patriarchal leaders at the same time, to mm. be honest. So they're talking with Paris. Um, and they decide, for some reason, that a, a wedding would be a good idea right now. It would cheer everybody up. Solves every problem. Yeah. It would cheer well, everyone it does most up. Of this, in most of these places, to <laughs> be fair. It would cheer everyone up to have a wedding. And Capulet says, listen... I'm I'm giving consent on Juliet's behalf. I know she said she was. Well, that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah. You just say like, yeah, on their behalf. He's he's Daddy Capulet. He does what he wants. Uh, And he says, I know I said before she was too young, but I think given how sad everyone is, it would be really good to have a wedding. And he says, we're going to have the wedding on Wednesday. Wait, what day is today? Today's Monday. Oh, Wednesday's too soon. We'll have it on Thursday. Yeah, that one extra day. <laughs> that one extra day uh, makes a big difference. Yeah, it only takes, you know, two days to plan a wedding. Right. Paris <laughs> is thrilled. Need. He says, my lord, I would that Thursday were tomorrow. And uh, everybody is so on move board. move it forward to Wednesday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone uh, is, is on board with this plan, except no one has told the bride yet. And the bride is already married. <sighs> which nobody knows except for the nurse and Friar Lawrence. And Lawrence. Yeah. Good old Lorenzo. 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 <laughs> That's what you call Lawrence. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Lozenge. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Then we get another quite famous scene um, where Romeo has uh, arrived to Juliet. He hasn't quite gone to Mantua yet. He has snuck in using the rope ladder. They have had their wild passionate really? night of loving oh they've loved it now they've loved it now <laughs> we're and loving it, is, it it is the morning after he's really like taking his time with i know this whole exiling. banishment yeah. thing is like nah, it'll be fine um having risked death to climb her shoddily built garden walls once he thought why not try it again so they've had their uh their lovely night of love making romeo needs to leave because he has to be gone before sunrise um that's that's the terms of his banishment does romeo ever sleep Apparently not. <laughs> it's been at least two days. <laughs> and he was moping about Rosalind the night before. Oh yeah, so maybe he, he just doesn't sleep. Maybe that's why he makes such bad choices. Maybe that's he's, why he's just like emo all the time because he's, he's just massively sleep deprived. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that, that makes me feel like more uh, empathy for Romeo. There you go. Yeah. I, I too have made bad decisions when sleep deprived. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Juliet's trying to talk him out of leaving and she says, no, 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 it wasn't the lark you heard. It was the nightingale. And he's like, no, it was the lark. Like, I have to leave. Um, and she's like, no, 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 that can't possibly be daylight. It's a it's a torch from heaven to light you to Mantua. Um and Romeo finally says, let me be taken, let me be put to death. I am content, so that will have it so. Um, and then she's like, no, 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 you do genuinely have to leave because I don't want you to die. Um, and she has this horrible premonition as she's kind of letting him out the window um, where she says, I think I see thee now um, as if thou wert in the bottom of a grave. Hang on, I'm trying to find the line. Uh, Methinks I see thee now, thou art so low as one dead in the bottom of a tomb. Either my eyesight fails or thou looks pale. Ooh. Like a boo ghost. Like a boo ghost. Mm. Yes. Um, so horrible premonition. But he goes um and in storms immediately Lady Capulet um to tell her that she needs to marry Paris. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And Juliet's like, in the first place, bigamy, bad, not allowed. In the second place, no, I don't want to. Um, so she refuses to do it, uh, and then her dad gets involved. And Capulet is uh, very angry. Ha- having been like good daddy Capulet in the first act, He's late act three daddy, daddy Capulet, Capulet is, is kind of true colors daddy Capulet. Um, he is really abusive in this scene. He's very, very horrible to her. He basically tells her that if she refuses to marry Paris, he will throw her out on her ass and disown her. So either she's marrying Paris or she can beg, starve. He doesn't care. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and he sort of slaps the nurse around a little bit in this scene too. Oh, the nasty. I know. Um, Juliet begs on her knees and he says, hang the young baggage disobedient wretch. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Get thee to church on Thursday or never after look me in the face. Speak not, reply not, do not answer me. My fingers itch as in I'd like to slap you. Um, Wife, we scarce thought us blessed that God had lent us but this only child, but now I see this one is too much. And that we were a curse in having her. That's pretty harsh. It's very harsh, considering he was the one saying, "Mm, give it a couple years, like an hour ago. Yeah. Um, So it's pretty horrible. Uh, He goes on and on and on about this. This is the most lines he has in the whole play is in this scene. He's got lots of long speeches about what a shitty daughter Julia is. Um, and how horrible she is. Um, and finally, she gets permission to go to Friar Lawrence um, and to beg forgiveness from him. So f- finally, she kind of says, all right, fine. Um, but please let me go to church and, and confess my sin of disobedience so that I can be absolved before the wedding. This is a trick. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but she needs to talk to Friar Lawrence because he's the one that married her and he's the one who would do the wedding to Paris. And he's the only friar in town. He's the only friar in town, but also he's the one who like knows why she can't get married. Right. Act four. Friar Lawrence and Paris um, at church. Paris is arranging the wedding and Friar Lawrence is like, on Thursday? Really? Wow. And Paris is like, yeah. We're just so, you know, I just think it would really help her. It would just be really good for her to have something to look forward to. Immoderately, she weeps for Tybalt's death. Um, and uh, Juliet comes in 
And Paris says, happily met my lady and my wife. And Juliet says, that may be, sir, when I may be a wife. Ooh. Quite cold. Um, and he says, they, that may must be love on Thursday next. And Juliet says, well, what must be shall be. They're very, very cold to him. Um, doesn't really want to give him very much. Uh, Friar Lawrence sends Paris away. Um, and he says, oh, Juliet, I already know thy grief. Um, and he she threatens to kill herself. She's brought a knife with her. Um, and Friar Lawrence is like, for fuck's sake, can the young people of Verona just hold it together for one second? And he's like, listen, we can fix this. I have an idea. There's this potion I can give you that will make it seem like you are dead. It will give us like 48 hours to get Romeo back. I'll send him a letter that explains what has happened. He will come back. I will help both of you get out of Verona together. And then you can live happily ever after in Mantua or wherever else. And your family will think you're dead. So they won't come looking for you. And she's like, okay, fine. That sounds better. So he gives her the potion, sends her home. It's like, this is the plan. You have to take the potion tonight because otherwise you're getting married on Thursday. She goes home. Um, she apologizes to her dad. She says, I'm really sorry for being so disobedient. I see now that you were just trying to help me and I'm really excited to get married on Thursday. He's like, oh, see, now was that so hard? All I had to do was threaten to slap you around. And yep, <laughs> kick you out of the house and whatever. Um, and Lady Capulet is like, we have to plan a wedding in three days now, I guess. This is stressful. Um, Juliet uh, goes they to bed. They got a venue. Yeah, the, well, the house, I think, is, yeah, the, okay. is the venue. Um, Juliet sends her mother and the nurse away. Um, and goes to bed and takes the potion with her. And then she gets this really long speech um, where she's like scared to take the um, take the potion because she says, what if it's poison? What if it doesn't work? Um, like the friar said, and then she still has her little knife with her. She's like, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just kill myself this way. Does it like- They're already jumping to that conclusion, aren't they? Yeah, they're literally like- it's already on the table. There's a lot of foreshadowed death. Um, long, 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 long speech about how scared she has to do it. But finally, finally, um, she thinks she sees her cousin's ghost seeking out Romeo. Ooh, ghosts. Mm -hmm. And she says, stay, Tybalt, stay, don't kill him. Um, Romeo, 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 here's drink, I drink to thee. And she drinks the potion and she falls upon her bed within the curtains. So the next morning, we're trying to get ready for the wedding. Um, it's the time is kind of weird in this because suddenly it's the day of the wedding. I don't know. We just skipped like a whole we day. We just skipped like a whole day. Maybe it was Monday night. Oh, is it Monday? No, the wedding was Thursday. Anyway, it's a Shakespeare play. Time doesn't work normally. <laughs> <laughs> we know this. Has Romeo slept yet? Apparently <laughs> <laughs> not. Um, so the nurse goes in to wake up Juliet on the morning of the wedding. And she can't wake her. Um, and she starts screaming and crying and calling for help. Lady Capulet comes in, also can't wake up Juliet, um, is, you know, screaming and crying and calling for help. Lord Capulet comes in, sees what has happened, is very distressed. Paris arrives um, in a lot of productions. He's like carrying flowers or something really cheesy. Um, and he sees the, you know, basically there's no sign of life back <laughs> He's from Paris. 
beret. Yeah, he's, in, he's in a stripy top. All the stereotypes, with a yeah, and the accordion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the stereotypes. Yes, he's a very stereotypical Parisian uh, for his wedding day in Paris formal. <laughs> and uh, he he sees that she is dead. Um, and it's all, yes, it's all very sad. Everyone is uh, crying. Friar Lawrence arrives and he kind of quiets everyone down. Um, and he says, uh, heaven and yourself had part in this fair maid. Now heaven hath all and all the better it is for the maid. Um, so he's kind of comforting them, behaving as if she's dead. Um, and they carry her out to the Capulet family tomb. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene with musicians who've been hired for the wedding where they are told that there is no more wedding um, and how sad that is. Do they not get paid? Well, I hope they got paid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not their fault that Juliet yeah. died. Poor minstrels. Yeah. Maybe they can play a funeral dirge instead. Mm. Um, and then we're into Act Five. Oh. Yes. So we get Romeo in Mantua. Um, and then we meet Balthazar. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Um, Romeo's servant, um, who arrives booted, meaning he's been riding a horse. Oh. Um, so he's got boots on. Not suited and booted. No, not suited and booted. He's not going for a football match. <laughs> um, he has come from Verona. Um, and he, unfortunately, has uh, beaten Friar Lawrence's letter. So Friar Lawrence wrote down the plan to Romeo, put it in a letter, gave the letter to one of his friars and said, get this to Romeo in Mantua. Well, something we can all relate to. There was a plague. Oh, apparently um, that prevented this friar from getting there, but not Balthazar somehow. Very specific plague. Mm. Very convenient. Deus Ex Machina kind of. Yeah. Plague. Get a tiny sip. Yeah. Just a little. He's fine. A teeny bit of plague. Just a teeny bit of exposure, but not yeah, enough. Not enough. Fire got full plague. Yeah, full plagued. Um, so Balthazar arrives and he shares the news that Juliet is dead. Because, of course, it does seem that Juliet is dead. No one but, but Friar Lawrence knows what has actually happened. Um, and Romeo, obviously, is very distraught by this news and goes straight back to Verona um, and insists on. Uh, but on the way, he stops at the apothecary. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I see that you are poor, apothecary. I see that you have no money. Here's 40 ducats, a lot of money. Let me have a dram of poison. Um, and the apothecary says, such mortal drugs I have, but Mantua's law is death to any he that utters them. So he's already got like one threat on him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Romeo basically says, uh, you know, I'll I'll give you all this money. Wait. If it's a penalty of death to buy poison, mm-hmm. how come they've got stocks of poison in the store if they can't sell it? I guess it's like the same way that like smallpox still exists in a lab somewhere. Okay. Like we need it just in case we and need it. The apothecary needs it just in case. Just in case. Um, and the apothecary says my poverty and not my will consents to, to sell him this poison. And he says, put this in any liquid thing you will and drink it off. And if you had the strength of 20 men, it would dispatch you straight. It's a very powerful. Strong shit. Strong shit. Mm. This is the good stuff. It's the good shit. It's the good shit. Um, Friar John arrives. 
Who's Friar John? He's a new friar. A we new... just met him. He's... Not not the friar that was like slow. That, this is the friar. Oh, who, the slow, who, who slow friar. Who couldn't get through because of the plague. Mm. Romeo can somehow get back to Verona and Balthazar can go back and forth, but Friar John had trouble, so. Well, he had plague. Okay. I mean, you've got to cut, like, yeah. cut the guy some slack. Got to cut the guy some slack. Um, so Friar, he, friar John goes to Friar Lawrence and Friar Lawrence is like, oh, what did Romeo say? How are all the friars have got English names? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Friar John's like, um, well, you see, uh, they, uh, oh, okay. We were both in a house. They suspected that we were both in a house where infectious, infectious pestilence did reign, sealed up the doors and would not let us forth so that my speed to Mantua, Mantua there was stayed. How convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Friar John says, I could not bring Romeo the letter. Here it is. Sorry about that. And Friar Lawrence is like, Friar John! <laughs> Fucking hell, man! Fucking John. Fucking John, do you realize what you've done? And he's like, look, give me a crowbar. I gotta go to the Capulet family tomb. So he goes, um, all right. So we're in the tomb. It's the final, the final act. The final, well, I mean, we're in act five already, but it's like the end. The, the end the is act. nigh. Yeah. The end is nigh. Paris is in the tomb. Um, he is there. Why is he there? Because this was supposed to be his bride, so he's kind of mourning. Uh, okay. He's bringing flowers um, to her tomb, and um, and he weeps at her tomb. Um, and Romeo arrives also with a torch, um, and Romeo and Paris kind of encounter each other in the tomb, uh, and Romeo kills Paris. Oh, wow. He's just going for it, isn't he? Just going for it. Yeah. Um, Bit harsh. It's extremely harsh. Yeah. But they're, you know, very sad. Um, And Paris says, oh, I am slain. If thou be merciful, open the tomb. Lay me with Juliet. He's not going to do that. He's absolutely not going to do that. Um, And so he he recognizes Mercutio's... Ah, that's Mercutio's link to the Capulets, is that he's Paris's cousin. Uh... Okay. Um, so Romeo, uh, sees Juliet and he thinks, oh, she's so beautiful. Like it looks as if she might just be sleeping. She is just sleeping, Romeo. Oh, but Friar Lawrence isn't there yet to tell him this. Slow. He's been slowed down by John, by no doubt. He's been slowed down by John, the pestilent friar. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so he has this long speech about how beautiful she is and about how much he loves her and about how sad this all is. Um, he kisses her and uh, he drinks his poison and he says, Oh, true apothecary, thy drugs are quick. Thus, with a kiss, I die. And he dies. Mm. Friar Lawrence arrives immediately after this um, and he finds Romeo's body. Well, he finds Paris's body first, then he finds Romeo's, um, and then Juliet wakes up. And she sees Friar Lawrence first. And she says, oh, comfortable friar, where is my lord? I do remember well where I should be. And there I am. Where is my Romeo? And he tries to convince her to just leave. He says, look, I hear some noise. Someone might be coming. Let's get out of here. And then I can explain everything. Um, And she does not want to leave. Um, And she sees Romeo's body. Mm. um, And she sees the poison. And uh, she freaks out, obviously. Friar Lawrence chickens right out and runs away um, because he doesn't want to be arrested, basically, for his part in the whole thing. Right. Um, The watchmen arrive. 
She hears the noise and she says, uh, yay, noise, then I'll be brief. Oh, happy dagger. This is thy sheath. There rust and let me die. She stabs herself, falls over and dies. Um, they arrive, the watchman and the page boy find... Ooh, the page boy? The page boy. Find Paris's body, Romeo's body, Juliet's body. Um, all the bodies. All the bodies. It's all very horrible. Um, all the other... Everybody. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Clever. I like that. Um, little Backstreet Boys throwback. All the other sort of members of the of the families conveniently arrives. The Capulets are there, the Montagues are there, the Prince is there. They're trying to figure out what happened. They're like, wasn't Juliet already dead? Um, is that Romeo? Wasn't he banished? Everybody's very confused. Friar Lawrence comes back. Um, has helpfully explained. Helpfully explains the entire situation. Does a very Poirot style denouement um, where he explains. Does he, like tweak his moustache. Yes, he does. He's got a little walking stick. Yeah. Um, he explains everything. Um, and the upshot is that it's decided that they should have a joint funeral for Romeo and Juliet. Um, and and that the enmity between the two families should cease. So it ends with the prince saying, A glooming peace this morning with it brings. The sun for sorrow will not show his head. Go hence to have more talk of these sad things. Some shall be pardoned and some punished. For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. Mm. The end. The end. And the families have mended. Yes. They only took five deaths. Right. I mean... Very minor. Very minor. Doesn't seem like they really were fighting at all, actually. No. Uh, yeah, so that's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Mm, what do you think? It was what I thought it was. <laughs> with As bits. expected. I did not know or remember. Okay, like what? The page boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the... Um, the cats. The cats. The squirrel. Mm-hmm. I like the squirrel. I thought you would. Uh, I don't remember that being taught at all about that Queen Mab. I yeah. probably was, but it's probably, it's not, you know, it's not murder, is it? No, no. It's a, it's a kind of set piece. It's what they call a purple passage. like A purple passage? A purple passage, yeah, because it's very, like, um, indulgent. Uh, okay. Like, it doesn't it doesn't really serve any plot function. It's just a nice, like, set piece right. for that actor. It's just a purple passage. It's just a purple passage, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what do we think uh, misogynometer wise? Misogynometer. I think it's quite a hard one to call, and I always say this, and I've not done this because the last ones we've done have been so high, <laughs> such we've, clear tens, so clear that we've not had to. Uh, I'm going to go for a seven. Okay, your reasoning. Uh, Lord Capulet, mm-hmm. pretty much Lord Capulet, and yeah. I guess I'm not sure I could go higher, but the whole idea of like she's thirteen, oh, she's nearly fourteen, we better marry her. Yeah, it's all very forced, and it's all against her will, and there's nothing. No, she's not really got any agency, mm. and the only way she does have any agency is to go behind everyone's back, and we all know how that ends. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, I actually this time through it, I noticed much more the kind of obsession with maternity like yeah, she's gonna get those kids out yeah, Gosh, the, the, like, 14 first half of the play they are like constantly talking about how like oh it's time you had a baby Julia. Right, get on your back you gotta have a practice yeah gotta know what it's like to push those kids out yeah um 
there's a real like it comes up a lot um put down those my little ponies we need you we need you bearing kids yeah so there's there's a very odd kind of and like particularly because in shakespeare's version she is absurdly young like the it's it has to be deliberate right because she's a few years older in the sources mostly um and she yeah she she is absurdly young like even in the middle ages when you had kind of child brides and things mostly you didn't actually kind of complete the marriage until they were of age yeah you like so signed you, them up right they? like you you betrothed what's the word them. betrothed that's the word I'm after. yeah they're kind of promised to someone and yeah. yes usually the man was a good you know 10 15 20 or more years older but she wouldn't they, they wouldn't kind of consummate a marriage no kind of until actually were, be married live yeah. as married until she was 15 16 17 you know like a bit older um not that i condone 15, 16, 17 year old marriages, especially to much older men. But they, I do think there's a big difference between a 13 year old and a 16 year old. Oh yeah. In, in those terms. Big time. Big time. Um, and in Shakespeare's time, you would not like, again, that wasn't, I think people think, oh, Juliet's so young because girls just got married much younger in this period. And it's true. They mostly did get married younger than women today. But they didn't get married at 13 regularly, mm. 13 or 14. Like full-on marriage. Yeah. Not like within like, what, two they days of meeting someone. They wouldn't live as married with somebody. No. They would still live in their family home yeah. until they were of age and, and then kind of consummate the marriage. Um, It's mostly an economic transaction. It's about yeah. land and money um, and eventually Dynasty. babies. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a, you know, usually a marriage isn't like, oh, I'm so obsessed with her. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think for me that that nudges nudges the misogynometer up a little bit. So um, what are you landed on? I think I think it might be an eight. Mm. Mm-hmm. There we go. Balancing out at seven point five. I'll, st- I'll stick with seven just so yeah. it balances. Yeah. So we've got a seven point five. But the the thing that like takes it down a little bit for me is that Juliet clearly is the best role in the play right like she gets all the best poetry she gets such beautiful imagery like for someone who is who they make a point of telling us is absurdly young she's extremely articulate she's extremely intelligent she's very um sort of self-assured for somebody of that age yeah um and really sophisticated in the way that she sort of spins imagery and metaphors and and handles romeo yeah and handles romeo who is, as we've a loose discussed, cannon. a bit of a loose Definitely cannon. a loose cannon. Yeah, I mean, you know, Rosaline certainly wasn't like, okay, marry me then. Yeah. Um, and that that is kind of about the only power that she has in this play, and she wields it, um, which, you know, I don't think makes it any less misogynist necessarily, but I do think she's a she's a beautiful she's a beautifully written character. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. There you go. Mm-hmm. A point to Bill. A point to Bill. <laughs> So yeah, that's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Mm, final thoughts? Final thoughts. I needed more squirrels. Mm, just one. There was just one squirrel. What happened to the, the nut wagon or whatever it was? <laughs> the nut wagon? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a traveling male stripper bus. <laughs> it's like Magic Mike on tour. Chippendales. <laughs> Chip that's what they get. They get in the nut wagon. <laughs> 
And it's even funny because Chip and Dale. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the nut wagon was a metaphor it was never real <laughs> you've been listening to not another shakespeare podcast and this is our pre-recorded outro if you liked this episode please review and subscribe if you hated this episode maybe share it with a nemesis you can follow us on social media at na shacks podcast or check out our website nashakespearepodcast.com Thanks for listening and see thee next time. And fare thee well.